This year at Northside, our theme has been Growing in Grace. And as a part of that theme, we have been endeavoring each month to have a different challenge because we have understand, hopefully by now, that grace is not something just to be understood, just to be received. It's something to be poured out, to be shared, much like Jonathan shared this morning. It's something that we understand that we are all beneficiaries, the all recipients. If we are in Christ, we are gloriously rich because of the way that he poured out himself to us. As as a result of that, we are called to be overflowing with his grace in our lives. The challenge for the month of August is to pray with people. We've encouraged you to wear these orange bracelets that as you go about uh, your daily life and you have you're entering into conversation with a family member, a friend or even a stranger uh, that you bring into the conversation is something. May I pray for you? Can I can I pray over that with you as a means of understanding that our prayer life is personal and it is that connection with the Lord. But when we ask others that we might join them in prayer, it's a blessing. It's an opportunity to grow and stretch those grace muscles. So hopefully you've been taking the opportunity making the opportunity to do that this year. Uh, Today we continue on our series called Margin. Margin is this idea that God has set up some boundaries in our lives, in, in all different areas of our lives, for the purpose of helping us to live the blessed life. Today we're talking about something that makes people a lot of really nervous, and that is money. Uh, whenever you bring up this subject, I mean, whether it's on the sermon schedule or you tell people what the sermon's going to be about or you looked in your hand up this morning and go, oh, money. And you probably brought somebody this morning, right? And you're like, you never talk about money. Well, some churches apologize for talking about money. Not at Northside. Believe it or not, the Bible speaks on the subject of money and wealth and stuff uh, by one count over 800 verses that apply to that subject. So to ignore it is to ignore something that God thought was important. But we don't talk about money for church budgets or capital campaigns. We do it as a as a larger part of who we are. You see, at Northside, we want to help everyone in their journey. We want to help you be better stewards at whatever level of stewardship you're at. Uh, you, you understand, of course, uh, the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Uh, this was something that occurred to me as I was thinking about this subject. In Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14, the, Jesus is telling here a story and he's reminding us what the kingdom of God is going to be about. Now, some translations, like mine, is the NIV, and it says the parable of the talents. The English Standard Version says the parable of bags of gold. He's talking about wealth here. And he says this. This is uh, Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money. To another, two talents, and to another, one talent, each according to his ability. So, see, according to Jesus, the master here is not always fair in how he distributes talents. Then he went on a journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one who had two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. 
After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with him. And the one who received the five talents brought the other five. And he said, Master, you've entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. Look what the, look what the response is here. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, see, you've entrusted me with two talents. And see, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And then the man who'd received one talent. Now, when you think about it here, we got, we got five talents, two talent, one talent. There's one guy who owns over 50% of the talents being distributed here. And you, as the world says, well, that's not right. That's not fair. God doesn't seem terribly concerned with that. What he seems concerned with is, is what do you do with the talents he gives you? Look at the one talent man. The one talent man says this, Master, I knew you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you know that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned I would at least have the interest. Take the one talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he who has, he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sounds like God takes our stewardship very seriously. And in Northside, so do we. We want people to be good stewards, not because we're concerned about the budget, not because we support Know Your Bible, not because we support missions, but because we take it seriously because God took it seriously. And here's the thing about stewardship. This is the point I want to make. Stewardship level is not a static position. Now think about it. These stewards started out with one, two, and five. And through the course of this story, changed into zero, four, and eleven. You see, the point is, is that wherever you are, you can get better or worse in your stewardship of the talents. If you're a five talent, but you don't use those five talents, then what you have will be taken and given to another who may be just a one talent servant, but he uses everything he got, has. God says, hey, that's a good steward. So at Northside, we want to help you to be a good steward because we believe that it helps you have a blessed Life. Why does this topic evoke such emotion? Why are you all so tense all of a sudden? People are not smiling. People are looking down. People are, are either intensely in prayer or have gone to sleep. I don't know. I'm going to assume the former, okay? But this evokes a lot of emotion with people. Remember when Jesus said, where your treasure is, this is Matthew 6:21. where your treasure is, there shall your heart be also. You understand that the reason Jesus talked about money so much is because connected so much to I have to grab my phone because that's where I keep all my, my money and my cards. Okay, but this is connected so deeply to this. And if he can help reach this through this, he'll do it. The, the reason it's so stressful is because 
So many of us, and I wish I could say the world does it poorly and we do it better, but the stats don't really prove that out. It causes stress because, according to recent statistics, student loan debt is now the second largest category of debt. Over $1.5 trillion in student loans behind only mortgage debt now. The average student in the United States graduated with $39,400 in student debt. That's average, meaning there are some that are way more and some that are way less, but the average of that is 39400 So they leave school with an education, but they're in debt to some degree more than their mortgage because they don't have a mortgage yet. And they're terribly stressed. These students, say they get these degrees and... And they figure out there's no useful application of those degrees. And they, they spend years in debt trying to pay off four, the first four years of their life. It's not a blessing to them. So they become stressed out. Parents don't fare much better. According to an article by CNBC, 78% of households live paycheck to paycheck. Meaning, in an audience of this size... Almost eight out of ten of you are living here to here, hoping here to here, that nothing between here and here happens. And we all know that nothing bad ever unexpectedly happens in life, right? I mean, I was thinking about this this morning. You probably noticed it was raining. We did too as we came to church. It wasn't a big deal because we had the umbrella. When it started raining... Oh, it made my own rain right there. When it started raining, I pulled out my umbrella. I was prepared for that. But there's too many people who don't live biblically, financially being good stewards. And so they're not prepared. They can't make it if that next paycheck doesn't come. If you're stressed because I mentioned that, I don't want you to get mad. I just want you to pay attention. In fact, according to a recent... An article by CNBC, over 60% of households could not cover a $1,000 emergency. Transmission goes out. Uh, the doctor has to run some extra tests. 60%. No wonder you guys are stressed. And I wish I could say it gets better as you age. But there was another article that I was in doing this research that said simply this. An increasing number of senior citizens are declaring bankruptcy. And so, well, I, we just didn't plan. We just didn't say we, we're dependent on Social Security. And I empathize. Hey, at least you've got Social Security. By the time I get there, I ain't going to be any. So we understand, we, we think about all of these things when it comes to money. Many people are totally and completely stressed out. If a sermon on money makes you angry, makes you nervous, makes you ashamed, let me just ask you one simple question, sort of a Dr. Phil moment. How's your, how's the way you've been stewarding the money God's given you? How's that working out for you? Now, if you're mad or angry or ashamed, I I want you to know I'm right there with you. I remember, follow me along here. uh, I, I remember sitting right about 
here. And it was probably, I don't know, 15 years ago. And I, and I, I remember Steve Tandy, man, he was preaching on money. He's talking about tithing and giving and how it would be a blessing. And I just got angrier and angrier. And the more I thought about it, I just got angrier. And, and what, what God was trying to teach me using the voice of Steve Tandy was that I wasn't being a good steward. It wasn't Steve's fault. He was just preaching the word. It was my fault. It was a heart issue, you see. See I, see, I had done things in the wrong way. I had done things in the wrong order. I wasn't being a good steward. I was like the one-talent steward. And I wasn't doing very well with what God had given me. And there were many times when the plate went by and nothing went in. I'll get it next week. I'll get it next month. I was so ashamed. I just want to ask you if you'll think for just a minute. At Northside, we're here to help everyone on their journey, and so much of that includes your financial habits and your stewardship. Money is not everything, Zig Ziglar said, but it's reasonably close to oxygen. So when I talk about money and the oxygen leaves the room, you understand why we get nervous and afraid and angry. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Turn there in your Bibles. Jesus said this. He's speaking, in fact, on money. He's speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. And my, my Bible divides it up between treasures in heaven and do not worry. But, of course, in the original text, those weren't divided up, were they? Isn't it funny how Jesus understands that so much of our treasure is connected to our heart and so much of our heart is weighed down with worry because we're not handling it correctly. Look at this, Matthew 7, uh, 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The scripture doesn't say you cannot have both God and money because there have been lots of Christians in this book and throughout history that have had a great deal of wealth because they were good stewards. What Jesus said there is you cannot serve both God and money. You understand if you're flat broke and you're thinking about it all the time and you're doing financially foolish things, you are serving money. If you're just living paycheck to paycheck, you're just trying to make the minimum payments, just hoping that nothing goes wrong, you are still serving money. Most of us read Matthew 6.24 and go, oh, that's for the wealthy. I don't have to worry. Jesus is not talking to me. Uh, we just need to delete that next do not worry and just pull those two texts together. You cannot serve Both God and money. God wants us to use our money. See, money can be a wonderful servant, but it is a terrible master. When you use the wealth that God's given you and you use that to bless and support a missionary, to support Know Your Bible, to to, to send teens to camp, when, when you're doing things, you're in charge of that money, you're sending it out, it's serving you, and you're serving God, but the your money is serving you. So to free from Financial stress, you've got to have margin. You want to know what financial margin is? Get ready because this is profound. I'm going to blow your socks off. Money margin is this, living on less than you make. Profound, right? I mean, you came in here not knowing that at all, and now I have changed your life. There's going to be revival in the church. It's so profound, and yet it is a... Concept that even Congress can't seem to grasp. 
We pick on Congress, but I'm talking about your household. Proverbs 21.20 says, There is desirable treasure and olive oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish person devours all he has. Foolish person has no margin. Uh, There's only really one way to live on more than you make, and that's debt. And, you know, we preach about this too. And people get upset and bothered. You know why? Because I have a lot of debt. And they'll go, well, yeah, 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 but airline miles and hotels and other, yeah, 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 and they give me this. And, and you know, Discover Card, they love me so much, they just want to bless my life, and they, that's, that's why they send me those things. Listen to me. Open your Bible, read through it, and find a single verse where God says that debt is a blessing. I, I know a single verse where he says quite the opposite. Proverbs chapter 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. You see, when I was sitting there, I was making payments on a car I couldn't afford. I was making payments to Discover Card. Oh, I never ran late. I never paid any interest. But you see, Discover Card and GM Credit, they don't care if I give money, but that my payment better show up on time. You know why? The rich rule over the poor. The borrower is slave to the lender. When we justify borrowing and debt, you know what we're like? We're like the Israelites who left Egypt and then start complaining. You know, the Egyptians, they had all those Egyptian points. I had like 10,000 Egyptian points. It was awesome. Debt is not a blessing and God intends you to be free. And the freer you are, the more on mission you can be. You've got to have margin. It's true whether your income is 20000 a year or 520000 a year. You've got to live on less than you make. And when you do that, you have margin. And when you have more margin, you're less stressed, you're better off, and you're prepared to be on mission. So let's look at the scripture that was read earlier, 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 through 19. Command those who are rich... In this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to be good, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, the first thing we read is command those who are rich. And we go, well, that's not me. I don't don't have to pay attention to these verses. That's not true. You look at anyone here in this room. I, I I don't even know your income level. But if you live in this country, you're in the 1%. Whatever income you make. Even if you did the stats and you go, technically, I'm in the top 0.3% of wealth. Look at this. You are far richer than the people to whom Paul was writing to Timothy about. They can't even imagine our level of wealth. We have whole rooms in our houses to park our cars in. Entire, entire rooms, right, Adriel, of clothes, right? It is full of clothes that we don't even wear. We have food and to spare in our kitchens, You see, 
from a biblical perspective, they look at us, whatever our income level is, and say, you're wealthy. They say, you've got to listen to this. God's rich, and he wants us to experience the richness of life by doing what he wants with his wealth. See, Psalm says that the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. It's all his, whether you're a five, two, or one talent. All the talents belong to him. And he puts them in your hands to manage. And if you manage them right, he'll give you more to manage. If you manage them poorly, he'll give you less to manage. Pretty simple. Why does he want us to manage them well? So that we can do what 1 Timothy 6 says. So that we can do good, be rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share. Regardless of how much you earn, without margin, it's difficult to do good deeds. It's difficult to be generous. It's difficult to be willing to share if you're barely making it yourself. So, we have these opportunities. You think about, like every week, someone gets up here. And they lead us through a talk on contribution. And they pass the plates or you you give online, you pull out your phone or whatever. What's your response in that moment? This is between you and God. My response when I was there was, I would love to. But I can't. What happens when Steve gets up here in a couple of months and he talks about all the new and exciting things that Know Your Bible is doing? About, about, about grading on the apps and being a part of, 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 of the new students coming in or maybe talking about branching out into another market? I don't know what all big plans he's got or what vision he's had. But what if you get all excited about that? But you say, I'd love to, but I can't. What if Jonathan who's speaking on Wednesday night. He's teaching on Wednesday night. And he says, Northside, we've got a great opportunity. In fact, the the church that he's leading has just planted another church. And we say, we could support that church. We could not just support one church, but two. And and he challenges us with that opportunity. And we, we look and we go, I'd love to, but I can't. The light of life challenges that we did for Carpenter Place and Simple House and Celebrate Recovery. Uh, the, the, the soup kitchen, the, the, all of these opportunities that we have, did you take advantage of them or did you just go, I'd love to, but I can't. It's challenging. We did the backpack challenge in July. I came back to my office one day and all the backpacks had been taken, but there was a backpack by my door. It was empty. I don't know whose it was, but somebody took a backpack and they looked at the list and they go, I'm barely making it here. And this is a lot of stuff. And I, I just can't. I would love to bless those kids, but I can't. You, you see, you understand why we can't is because we don't have any margin. When we don't have any margin, it makes it a lot harder to do mission. Let's turn to one final chapter, Luke chapter, uh, one final story in the Bible in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 and following. And Jesus is answering a question here. He's answering the, story, the question about what's the greatest commandment in the law. And he says, well, you know, love the Lord your God and love your neighbors myself. And, and this lawyer who's very smart, before he let Jesus get away with it, he, he just answered one, one final one question. Who is my neighbor? 
And in reply, Jesus said this This is verse 30. A young man, I'm sorry, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened by to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, too, a Levite, when he came to the other side, uh, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and we got to stop here because a Samaritan was just a totally, I mean, that was like, you didn't, you didn't use Samaritan examples, okay? It was just, they were against us. They served a foreign God. They, I mean, it was just, it was so offensive to them. But just what Jesus said, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And of course, the story is so outrageous. And the example is so out there, obviously, the expert in reply in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. A lot of lessons in that story. But I want you to think about this. What if the Samaritan had come upon that man and he wanted to help, but he had no extra to help? He had no donkey. He had no extra oil. He had no extra wine. He he didn't have any extra denarii in his pockets. He was barely making it to the next town where he hoped there might be a job. No. If he had done that, we would have called him the helpless Samaritan. What if what if he had had no money, but he said, you know, I really want to be generous. So he went and he found the priest and he found the Levi and he wrestled him to the ground and he said, you guys are going to go help that man. And he was very generous with other people's money. Then we call him the socialist Samaritan. Huh, I'm serious. Sometimes some people think generosity should be a forced thing. They say, look at the early church, how communists and socialists, Acts chapter 2 and all that. No, 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 that was free will. That was from their heart, not because of a government mandate. What if he had no money? And, or what if he had money, rather, and he refused to help? Then we'd call him the stingy Samaritan. But you see, because he had extra, and because he was willing to help, we call him good. You understand why margin is important? It's not just about what you put in the plate. It's about how you live. It's about having extra to be able to share and to do good with. Financial margin is good for a lot of reasons. It'll help your marriage. I mean, if your marriage is hanging on by a thread, I'm guessing you have a lot of arguments about money. It'll lower your your stress. You'll be in better physical health. It'll bless your family. It'll keep you from being a burden to the church, to society. But listen to this. Above all these things, the lesson of the Good Samaritan is this. When you have margin, you have room for mission. See, margin allows you to participate in more of God's work. When there's an opportunity to bless a family who's hurting by paying an electric bill or giving a surprise Christmas or taking a meal, you can do that because you've got extra to share 
Hey, you want to bless your waitress? I saw this on Twitter. It's the bless your or uh, tip the meal challenge. So if your meal is fifty dollars, the challenge is to tip, give a tip of fifty dollars. Wow, that's cool and so fun to do. But you can't do it if you don't have margin. What about supporting great missionaries like the Floods and the Vicks and Jonathan? I mean, we've read many times about Jonathan's good work and the help that they needed in the, in the church building. It was about $15,000 or so. And see, because we were able to help him, it came from people who had margin, so they were able to be on mission. When Jonathan says, hey, we're doing this great thing, and you go, yes, I want to be a part of it, and you open your wallet and you have, you have extra, and you're willing to share, then you can be on mission. You want to bless Pleasant Valley Elementary or Carpenter Place or Simple House or Celebrate Recovery. If you want to keep Know Your Bible growing and expanding. If you want to help kids go to camp. If you want to aid people in crisis. Last year, Hurricane Harvey hit Houston. We passed the plate one time and raised $10,000 to help people who lost everything. That's not to brag on us. That's God working through people who have margin and who are able to be on mission. You can have margin and not be on mission. Remember the rich young ruler? I mean, he, he, he had plenty of margin, but he didn't want to do what Jesus called him to do. Nah. But without margin, you miss opportunities to be on mission. So at Northside, we're here to help you do that. I said there was over 800 scriptures about money and the topic of money. The reason that's there is for our benefit so that we might learn. I'm going to ask you this morning, are you on mission? Do you have margin to be on mission or are you struggling? Are you sitting there, arms crossed, frowning, just waiting for the message to be over? Maybe I've hit a a, a nerve. And I don't want to hit a nerve to browbeat you or make you angry or make you ashamed. I want to tell you, you're in the right place because we are here to help you. And so we talk about money every year. And we offer Financial Peace University every year. We do that because it's, it's the standard of biblical teaching on money, besides the Bible itself, of course. But it's organized and it's put together in such a way that it's not just in for information, there's inspiration and, most importantly, transformation. The average person in Financial Peace University saves up an extra $2,700 and pays down $5,300 in debt. They come out nine weeks later having more margin and being able to be on more mission than they ever have before. Now, the class is $100. You say, well, great. That does me a lot of good. I have no money. I'm flat broke. And you got the answer to all my financial problems. And it's $100. Okay. Hold off before you get the songbooks and throw them at me here. First of all, if you've gone before, it's free. Lifetime membership. If you've ever gone, you need a refresher. Go back. Secondly, if you don't have the $100... Pay what you can pay. Northside is so intentional about this. We, we, we think it's important that you pay something, that you have a little skin in the game. But pay what you can pay. Go talk to Frank or Larry there at the tables or Brad t- today. And, and we will figure out something. We'd just rather be in. It starts next Sunday, August 26th. So sign up in the foyer today. And if you can't pay, then I've put Frank's number up there. He appreciates that. Frank McKee, where are you? Stand up, bud. This is Frank McKee. He's the ministry leader on financial peace and stewardship ministry. And if you need help, if, you, if, you, if you're just sitting there just hating messages like this, let us help you. Let Frank help you. Text him 
right now, and we'll figure out a way to get you plugged in. We want to help you help others. And here's my challenge. There's a lot of you who live the biblical principles of money. you got no debt. you got plenty of margin. Go to Frank and say, listen, I want to put somebody through Financial Peace University. I want to provide a scholarship. See, that's being on mission. When you have margin, you can do that. God is a giver. He's not only extraordinarily rich, he has a giving heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's how he wants us to be as well. He gave his son over to death so that we might know life. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll close with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. God's done everything in the world to get you into heaven, to help you experience the richness of his glory in eternity in heaven. But he won't force you to go. You've got to make that choice. And if you're not in Christ, there's a much more important thing than my financial advice, the Bible's financial advice. It is this. You need to be in Christ to know the riches of heaven. This morning, if you need help in either way, come forward while we stand and sing.